0: Hi, Jeremy. Hi, Raphael. How are you? <coughs> Terrible, actually. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, um, I, I want to paraphrase a little bit to our audience that whenever we started the podcast, we would talk for about 15 minutes and then start. And then often we would say really funny stuff that we didn't record, and then we start recording, and we tried to do that, and it's less spontaneous. So we already talked about you being under the weather.
1: Uh, kind of, barely. I mean, we talked for. You weren't very sympathetic.
0: <laughs> no, I don't care.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you're like, the show must go on.
0: Well, uh, we, we, we were supposed to record yesterday, so I was uh, grossly right. uh, disgusted with your laziness.
1: And we're already behind schedule, so.
0: No, I, I feel for you. But it's fun to do stuff when you're sick, otherwise, you're just bored.
1: Well, actually, I've performed sick many times. Uh, like, with high. I remember performing in New York once, actually. With a high fever. Um, yeah. yeah. This but then the adrenaline
0: kicks in and you, you survive for an hour?
1: Yeah. Yeah, totally. The adrenaline is a very powerful a very powerful uh, medication. That I think they should prescribe adrenaline. Or it should be available over the counter. Um, that's
0: in the, the Fear and Loathing movie where they suck on a gland of someone. An adrenaline gland.
1: <laughs> really? Oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. That I forgot fun. about that. Yeah. I saw
0: that when I was a teenager. It's
1: been so long.
0: And so the other thing I wanted to share with our listeners is that we decided uh, to prepare our show even less, so this is even more raw, so we really don't know what we're going to talk about, other than that we have a spreadsheet in front of us, a Google Sheet, with a bunch of topics, and so we just wanted the, the show to be as honest as possible, so we're just going to go through different topics and then uh, decide on something to talk about. Is, does that does that explain yeah. what we talked about? I mean, I think both of us,
1: We so I believe in improvisation. It sounds like we're really egocentric, like we don't know what we're going to do, but we know whatever we do, it's going to be great. But I think for me, it's more like I have this philosophy that, you know, art should be created, it's this Fluxus philosophy created in real time, and that that, that, that pre-recording or pre-rehearsing or doing anything in preparation always ruin things. It feels less natural, like you said, less honest, but I, I also think less funny, less interesting. It's like, I always say, it's kind of like watching like a NASCAR race or something. No one would watch racing if they knew everyone was going to turn out okay. There was going to be no accidents. Yeah,
0: maybe it's if you... It's either one or the other. It's either no preparation or super prepared and then uh, lots of research and almost like an essay. But, uh, but my favorite expression
1: is like, I've prepared my whole life for this. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, yeah. so, you know, yeah. let me do my thing.
0: All those hours of browsing have paid yeah. off.
1: Yeah. Mind you, there yeah. was a lot of controversy during um, the debates about which candidate was taking time off to prepare, I remember. Which was kind of wow. interesting
0: well, I don't want to talk about politics that I know
1: okay, so what yeah. will we talk about then
0: um well we have a bunch of topics here it, art preservation, open standards, convenience, daily habits, the economy around art, the independent artist what do you i like i, I like art. that we
1: would lean yeah towards art uh you know, we've been doing a lot of tech, and tech yeah. probably going to end up in this somehow. But like, I liked your in, the indie artist topic. You know, and talking yeah. about what it. You know, what's different today?
0: Well, I want to paraphrase it with a little bit of uh, experience this week. So I, I met up with a group of students from uh, Groningen in the Netherlands, uh, grad students, a master program in media art. And of course, they're not going to ask me about software or tools. They know how to figure that out. Right the main question they all had is how do you make money yeah cuz they don't teach you that in school and of course the money is the is the main facilitator for you making things so uh we can share a few things i guess but yeah but uh, i think coming from media art this is general um maker culture people love to make things and they have the tools and people love tools and people love making things but then you you don't have the space. You're missing the space. And I think traditional art is already, you're in space, you're in the studio, you're making objects. And I feel like traditional artists might also be a little better at networking with art world people where... Or maybe they're just as as messed up. I don't know. Um, Yeah,
1: I think you're speaking from a place. Well, one of the things that comes to mind for me is like, have you, you know, having a studio visit when your studio is your like bedroom or your living room? yeah, Yeah. I can remember I had here in Toronto, I had like a studio visit with this, like there's this older group of women that are patrons of the arts and they give it a prize every year. It's quite prestigious. And I was young when they, they, they said they'd like to do a studio visit with me. And I was like, oh, no. Like, immediately, I thought <laughs> I don't have a studio. But I'll have them over to my house. And so I did. And then, like, we were crouched around the TV in the living room. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, it was well, really it, it, awkward, it's, actually. It's a
0: similar pro- problem to a lot of people now want to make movies about what's going on in society, which is the computer and hacking and social media. But it's not a very photogenic activity. Mm-hmm. It's just people sitting behind a computer. Right. Uh, it's very different. Like if the 60s were about flower power and Vietnam War, those things are very photogenic, like explosions and helicopters and sex and all those things. They, right. they were just, they, they're so awesome to film. Yeah. But someone like that movie, The Social Network, it's just hard to create an action sequence, which is like, oh, uh, open <laughs> this port. Oh, wait, we're getting hacked. Oh, uh, yeah. hit the escape
1: key if you made a movie about this podcast it would be like a spreadsheet is open <laughs> it's yeah. like a level meter going yeah. up and down yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah I mean it's not much drama
0: so um, but the independent artist I thought immediately when I was in art school and I started making moving images and then I thought well I'd love to put these on the internet and then uh, I was making animations in After Effects or stop motion, but they were too big to share. There was no YouTube yet, and I would have to compress them so awfully that you couldn't really experience them anymore. So then I started making internet art because I thought, well, I'll make something browser-specific. I don't want to get too technical, but just this yeah. feeling that there's a place. And so the internet is this free place where you can do whatever. But that and was like, s-
1: that was so exciting for me. I'm sure it was for you, too. Right? yeah.
0: But, but then it's curious to see that if I speak to uh, students of media art, none of them think of the internet as a platform. Oh, really? None of them. So they were all doing 3D printing or oh, right. installations or prints. Or It's just the, the browser is it's pretty small. It's uh, mm-hmm. um, not very well, glamorous.
1: I, you know, 75%, this is a technical thing, but almost 75% of internet traffic is now over phones. I wonder if like... The way we're behaving in relationship to the internet is changing like we all we live through one device and now we live through several and also it's not really designed for consumption
0: yeah and the screen is so small that the visual aspect is very small yeah yeah
1: yeah i mean for me it was this portal into a world where like you know for years and years i felt as a young artist like obviously in school that like no one really kind of got what i wanted to do or really understood and and then even if I did get my, like, classmates on side, like, I somehow convinced them what I was doing was interesting. I was like, but there's got to be more than 10 people out there that this would be interesting for. But I could you know, I couldn't get, like you were saying earlier, the, you know, the studio visits to get to the shows and stuff like that. So all my shows came through the internet early on. Um, still do. I still get, like, curators contacting me through Facebook, which always makes me laugh. Um, and so for a while there, it just felt like if I wasn't doing things on the internet, like, I didn't have... That was my platform. That was the only way anyone was ever going to hear about what mm-hmm. I was doing.
0: But, but in the same way in the music world, that uh, and and I spoke to someone at a conference who is a social media expert and does a lot of social media for companies like Disney, but also for big pop stars, mm-hmm. for Steve Aoki and Usher and these people. And he also collected art, but he never wanted to buy through galleries because he says that's the middleman. I don't want to deal with the middleman. Like. Mm-hmm. Artists should reach out to their audience and sell directly, and not cut out just cut out the middleman. And the idea is that you build an audience, and that movie stars now are a very big part of the marketing of a movie. Because if a movie star uh, already has a following, and they're doing a new movie, the movie doesn't have a following yet. Mm-hmm. So how do you reach the audience? And so now in their contracts, it will say, okay, you have to move mention the movie at least fifteen times on your Instagram, etc. And that gives them a better bargain, a better bargaining position. And so does that apply to art as well? Like, do we still need the gallery? Mm. And that was kind of my thinking, like, oh, we don't need the gallery anymore. But I changed my opinion.
1: As a younger artist. I mean, I still ask myself that question because I'm a lot less commercially successful than you, Raphael, I think. And also because I intent, like, I, I, I sort of came out of school with the intent not to make money from the physical sale of works. Like that was a philosophical position. yeah. Um, and that, you know, that's been a position of other artists, you know, through, throughout history as well. Uh, you know, just to avoid that like bourgeoisie culture, because the two, you know, and that, that's not like, that's a loaded thing I just dropped. But like, you know, you made art for a certain reason. It wasn't to serve um, people that wanted to buy it, right? Like that wasn't, in school especially, that's not your original intent and so you you kind of
0: well the, the the money is secondary the first thing is what you want what you want to make
1: yeah yeah so I loved you know I, and I think we've talked about this before it's like just you know be yourself and do what you love and I loved what I was doing and, and what I really wanted to do was change the world I remember being like I was young in grad school and they went around the room we all introduced ourselves and everyone introduced themselves and in what they had to do and you know when I was the last one to go but Person after person was like, "I want to be an art teacher. I want to be a teacher." I and then at the, I got to the end. And I said, "I want to be an artist. don't change the world." And I looked like such an idiot, <laughs> you know, like, or it felt that way, right? Because mm-hmm. because that's no longer considered. Wh- who does that, right? Um, you know, it's very, it's very um, almost like privileged to say you, you know, I'm I'm going to be an artist. because well, it, there's it's no it's ambitious. Plan. Yeah, and there's no economics, you know, affording for it. I also, my favorite thing to say to students is like, literally zero people are ever going to ask you to do this. No one's going to come up to you and be like, can you make a painting for me? Or like, you know, like no one's going to say, would you make an experimental video art?" That's not really true
0: piece. because once you start making things, then yeah. people start asking you.
1: That's true. But so in people the first cannot,
0: words, we, People cannot look in each other's head, heads yet. So yeah. you have to externalize your thoughts in a, in a form. Yeah. But the 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 interesting question for me was when you make digital art when it's uh wave based and not atom based and it you know it can go through the network mm-hmm. um, that would mean that the music distribution model would make more sense than the gallery distribution model
1: yeah and so music di- distribution is dead economically it relies on live performance which is. The way I make most of my money is performing live, if I can be honest with the audience, yeah
0: but so you you don't have an agent or a manager who books things for you, <laughs> no, but I
1: have a gallery that has you know failed to get me a single performance um, yeah. you know, but that tries to sell physical stuff, which i'm you know I'd, I'd be happy if that worked out, but I'm just not going to try to make it work because you may I make bad work every time I try and do that um,
0: yeah it's just trial and error, yeah yeah. Yeah, that's true. But for me, the interesting question is, uh, in the age of social media, and I think where art fails, where music succeeds, is that art is so niche that uh, even a very popular artist might have uh, 100,000 followers. Some street uh, artists have a million followers, but it's just not the same kind of uh, audience where you can charge a dollar for a product and you sell so many that it's... uh, Viable. I mean, so that—that's what I mean is. Yeah. As long as the audience is small, then the price of the work is high. Then you need the gallery because they know those type of clients. It's not the the clients that are on social media are not. Right. You would have to have a conversion rate that would be so high.
1: Yeah.
0: I don't know if that makes sense. But if yeah. you think
1: about it from a musician's perspective, because I I admire musicians more than I think any other kind of artist on the planet, including visual artists, because. They really have a bad deal, Raphael. And like, so I maybe do one show, like perform maybe once a week if I am really busy. They're performing like every day that week, right? And they're, and they're and then they're not getting flown and asking for like hotel accommodation. They're like but living out of their. But then DJs.
0: It's it's once again, it, it, I think I think it's kind of the opposite where the traditional artists like painters make more money than media artists. Mm. But in the music world, it's like the media musicians just fly out with their laptop or their thumb drive but the bands are like they have all the gear and yeah. the roadies and all that kind of overhead and they have to share the, the the payment but the dj just comes in and just plays other people's tracks and takes a <laughs> big check
1: that the dj is like the museum right they just like whoop, whoop, remix history and yeah. <laughs> collect the check yeah. but um yeah. but i think uh I, you know, if you're, if you were an artist, there is a, co- you can actually get into that scene and it's not very good as a VJ, mm-hmm. um, which I've dabbled in a couple times and I don't think I'll ever really dive fully into it. As an electronic artist, you're always kind of like lured in and then you there's realize, a, oh my God. Link. Yeah. Yeah. But everything's like, it's like one third the money, like twice the number, twice the amount of stress, like three hour performances and stuff. No support. And it's really yeah, like, yeah. you realize yeah. how pampered you are as an artist.
0: And then they're like, okay, you're on at 2 a.m. Oh, actually, <laughs> it, it got delayed a little bit. It's going to be 3.30. Yeah. <laughs> and you're just sitting around there.
1: Yeah. Like, I've hosted some big events and done some, some stuff with, you know, where bands got up on stage and stuff. And it's like, behind the scenes in the green room, like... The you know, the band's kind of bitching about stuff, and it's like it's really not the green rooms. By the way, every green room I've ever been in is like it's like you're in a prison or something. It's like they're terrible. So it's not yeah. a lot
0: of groupies for you.
1: For well, you know, I think like pleasing fans is the. I've told you this before. Like the, the way I get paid is if I can get a laugh or make someone smile. Like I just got back from speaking at a university in Massachusetts and. There was like a lineup of students afterward, you know, telling me how much how inspiring things were. And there was like one student. He's like, "You know what? You just really don't give a shit." I love that. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, "That alone is like all I need to be paid this year." Which is, you know, true. That's not going to feed me, but it really does like inspire me to keep doing but what I do. But
0: it, um, if we look at examples in the in the world, it, so for me, it's interesting to think. Can the artist? Are there examples of artists working without the middleman? And mm-hmm. then the people I think the, the visual artists who are most successful on social media are street artists. Yeah, because that's that,
1: well, that's also artwork anyone can understand. You know.
0: Well, I, I don't even want to quantify it that way because yeah. it, uh, uh, I don't know if you should understand art to begin with. But it, it we can say that it appeals to a lot of people, and so they have such a, a broad appeal that they're on the level of popular musicians so like mm-hmm. a million followers or something That's I was really, looking yeah. for the yeah. show I was looking at people like JR and Shepard Ferry and regardless what you think about the work uh, you can quantify that there's a popular appeal yeah and then does that mean they don't need galleries or does that mean they just have a better bargaining position like movie stars still work with movie studios but their bargaining position changed because of social media
1: I mean, I would just look at a street artist, they start out much lower as well though, right? Like with zero.
0: <laughs> but they they also uh, start out with the independent ishi- initiative. They're not waiting for a gallerist. The whole no, idea of true. street art is that you start by yourself. And when I was a young artist,
1: actually, that was sort of my philosophy. So I started a collective and we started like, if it was a video art collective. I remember we created screens that we could put inside of restaurants and we did projections on buildings and things like that. And... So, you know, it's, it's always a good idea just to, I think, in any career, to, not to wait for someone to come and say, hey, could you do this, but to go out there and just do it. Um, and street yeah. artists are, are really emblematic of that. The other thing about street artists I think is brilliant is that, you know, the average, what is it, the average painting has a three second attention span? Yeah. That's you know, true. like, I think they're like, honest about that. <laughs> yeah, at least they know. People are just like trying to get to the bus. Maybe I have, you know, 0.5 seconds already to that's have a the moment. That's
0: the funny thing that as I'm growing up, I used to think it's much more noble to make work that spreads and you make money off of many units but a small amount so you're not catering to a rich market Mm -hmm. because when you make 12 to 40 paintings a year the price is going to be high and then the audience is going to be quite a lot older than you uh, a lot richer that creates a weird detachment from your audience Mm. so the noble path would be you have an audience of 100,000 fans who each buy one of your zines and everybody buys it for $5. And I thought that was a more noble path. Mm-hmm. What I learned now over the years is that the path of the high volume, low price does not generate work that I like. Mm. And also, so yeah. it, it, the, the work that I really enjoy and that I see, uh, like I just went to see the Agnes Martin exhibition in the Guggenheim. Um, unfortunately, that... The, the people who control that work is a, a very rich, a powerful, small group of people. It's not very democratic. But the work that comes out of that mechanism is more interesting to me than street art.
1: And is that because like, it's something that would just be, you know, any capitalist would be like, this is senseless. We're not gonna make, it's, it doesn't make any sense to, you know, someone who's got a factory and wants to manufacture a thousand things, right? If everyone can have it, then it's going to be something that probably already exists. I had a friend who once said it's like
0: No, I don't think that's true. <clears throat> no. Well I mean no. no, but that's like saying um any any radical musician who did something but then becomes big, does that make it less interesting? Mm. Well music you know, as like I think
1: what you're talking about though is like there's a certain um you know, the aura of a work or something. Maybe you're not talking about this, but like
0: No, I'm not talking about that. No.
1: Okay because you know that down that pretentious path you get to like you know this thing that can only be captured in one place and one time the context of the work sort of evokes something that's just not possible no but like
0: you mentioned john cage's uh four and a half minutes of silence yeah uh that's not a work that you need the aura or whatever it's an idea that spreads but it's still in this realm of small audience it's still in the realm of like a few people who know about it, mm. uh, educated crowd who knows about the prehistory where he's coming from. Um, and that, to you, is probably more interesting than uh, examples of audience of, of large audience artworks.
1: Yeah, I mean, I've experimented doing that piece with, like, teenagers in high school. And yeah. they, they... they it's in, I mean, I don't know if they get it, but at least a few of them do, and it's kind of mind-blowing just to do it. I don't think that 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 work was what's great about it is it's like and for me maybe this is the difference between you and me but for me it's like that um i think that work should have this kind of this thing that you can only experience in almost not in person but like once and it's never going to be the same Mm -hmm. after that this subjective like kind of ultimate subjective experience that that can take this where the neurons are kind of firing in your head in real time and, you know, your eyes widen as if it's like your first, I don't know, shot of heroin or something. I've never had heroin, Mom. Um, but, you know, it's like just this, everything comes together. And, um, and, it, and it can only happen but, in one but place you, at you, one time.
0: Even, even if you think of stand-up comedy, uh, it might be true that there's that one performance that was the best execution. But you have to do it a lot of times before you get there. Mm.
1: I have to say, though, more and more, and, I, and I've seen comedians this way, too. The less I prepare for something, or the less anxious I am about preparing, the better the the outcome.
0: But you're an exceptional genius. Most people <laughs> have to work hard.
1: I guess you're right. I have a friend who, like, yeah, who has to dry run everything a million times. And
0: but but do you think there's a a space for um, the independent artist who works independently of book publishers or gallerists or curators and who just reaches an audience directly and makes money in a sort yeah. of way of people leave a tip i think it's, yeah i personally I mean, do you I, know an example of someone who who's doing is, that is thriving as an artist yeah and and i mean who can make an okay living like, yeah because i mean and I, not having to teach not having to have a day job and focus on the work and and selling units at a price below ten dollars
1: i don't know of any artists but <laughs> you know you're right like louis ck does it no no no, know, no. Like, Yeah, i'm really talking about visual art yeah i know i'm just yeah. saying like but he has that celebrity status i think what we talked about at the beginning well that's the like, mass
0: audience yeah that's yeah. the popular culture where your audience is more than yeah, it's like 000, a million
1: people. a million ten dollars you know and i think like people and you know startups are trying to kill the gallery right now there's all these like yeah you know, exactly that's the interesting here, thing
0: because if you look at the traditional models they've disrupted and they're like Well, we disrupted the music world. We disrupted the movie world. Yeah. Why can't we disrupt the
1: art world? Yeah, and everything everyone always tells you about the art world is it's like Victorian era economics. Yeah. (laughs) A little bit of a little bit of a shell game, right? Yeah.
0: People wear these funny wigs and they They wear knee high socks.
1: It's also become like um, a place where like sort of shady money uh is is you know have you heard this that it's like the last place where money can be laundered safely internationally um it's like cause yeah, it's untraceable. yeah 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 yeah
0: I don't <clears> know. Know. but but um i am i mean that's the very top section of investment art but i'm talking more about living artists who want to survive but even like living art so if, if you have a gallery a living artist you know knows that
1: s- the gallery won't just sell to anyone right like not just anyone can walk in off the street. You couldn't go to, you know, I don't know. That's
0: what they say, but that's not how it works.
1: Yeah, yeah. It just, I mean, and then on top of that, if you, if you have already bought work, you're going to get a discount on the work, potentially. You know, there's all kinds of, there's a whole social network that underpins the art economy that is lost on um, most of these websites, right? Mm-hmm. And it's like, I'm not going to go to Walmart to buy art. I'm sorry, because that's going to like the whole the whole economy will be exposed and the whole and, you know, and, and nothing will make sense anymore.
0: Well, it, it's for sure that if you make objects, handmade objects, and you can only you can make less than 100 objects a year, mm-hmm. uh, it's for sure that the price of those works has to be high because you're not selling all of them. Right. Um, I'm, I'm just interested in this this thesis of the, the high-volume, low-price artworks and if that could be sustainable. But I just don't know any... Because even the street artists that I mentioned that have a million followers, um, they sell silkscreen posters for a low price, but they also sell gallery objects. Right. Yeah, I think that... you know. You're I mean, economically, there, but... some, something like Obey Giant is, is the most diverse, where it's from T-shirts to gallery work and everything in between.
1: Right. And I think Murakami was one of the most successful at figuring out, you know, retail fashion connection. Yeah. And and more and more, you know, you talk about, I'm, you know, a successful artist, they're running their studios like, like design studios, like what I'm familiar with as a designer, where they've got like a staff, they've got concepts, they have like Move low, medium, and high. It's a bit yeah, like you know. fashion with seasons. And,
0: yeah. Uh, I mean, I spoke to some people... In the fashion world, and they're like, how do you start a season? And they, they start with keywords. Hmm. So they're like uh, rebellious, contained, <laughs> audacious. And then that's the collection.
1: <laughs> well, that's how I work at home, my file. That's how I prepared for this uh, podcast. That's how you prepare dinner. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah that's right. Tonight, um, we're
0: going for zesty and flavorful and bold. But if
1: you can do it, if you think of it like a design studio, I actually think it's a little bit more attainable, you know, for any young artist out there kind of thing, because it's like you do your first thing, you please your client and your client might be a buyer, but it might also just be an audience. And then there's some faith that, oh, if you do good work, like some other people are going to come along and they're going to, they, you know, you're like you said, they're going to ask you to do something else. And then you're going to get good at kind of anticipating their needs. And like to pretend yeah. that artists don't do a little bit of this anticipation, I think yeah, bit... but
0: it's not black and white, so are you doing Yeah. yeah. Well but, but for me, because I had a large online audience, I was like, oh, I can sell people T-shirts, and then that didn't really work. Mm. And then I thought later, like, oh, um, I started playing around with this lenticular material because it's kind of animation in 2D form. So I thought, okay, should I do this as posters that people can buy online, or should I do this as gallery works that are unique and that... And I finally found that the, the, the unique works fit me better because I get to make more different compositions. Mm. Whereas if you have a collection and it's high volume, then I can do five different pieces of each a thousand units and then I have to wait till all those are sold until right. I can make. So it, for me, the, the that would have been a creative bottleneck where I'm waiting on the inventory to sell. Um, that's really interesting. To make more.
1: It's an interesting way of thinking about it. Because the economics on mass scale are actually really hard as well, right? Yeah. yeah. Especially when you're selling something that doesn't solve a problem, right? The rule for a product design is it has to relieve a pain point. And there's very... No, there's
0: like, no, no, no. That's, I think the heart of, of capitalism, it, of most of it is selling things people actually didn't know they needed.
1: <laughs> yeah, but that's like you, invent, you you describe the pain like... You know, Especially toothpaste. fashion. Yeah, like mouthwash is a great example, which I think used to be used just like for uh like healing wounds or something like that, and then they're like, "Oh, you know, there's this bad breath problem in the world." Purell. Right. Right. Yeah, there's tons of yeah. examples like that for sure. Yeah. But people still then have the perception that they have a problem um and that this product's going to solve
0: it for them. Yeah. But maybe what I what I'm getting at is is uh, that over the years that I've realized that when you as an artist want to reach a broad audience and uh You want to sell lots of small things at high volume. It takes a lot of your concentration. And Mm -hmm. so that takes away from the work, I think.
1: Right. Yeah. I mean, so there and you I think you've been really good at carving things out, but I want to like at least insert an alternative for the for our audience, which is what I've resolved to do, you know, that I've been very ashamed of. And I meet artists all the time that are super ashamed of this. They keep this deep, dark, dirty secret. Which is, um, you know, a cliche, but it's it's definitely true of being of having like a day job. Right. Is this a confession? This is a confession. I have a day job. I think I've talked about it in a subsequent podcast, but like people whenever, you know, people are asking me how I'm doing and then well, how do you make money? Like you said earlier, I'm like, well, actually, I'm the creative director at this software company. And then they find out they're kind of there's this look on their face of disappointment. You know, like, and every time they find out that I don't do, you know, I'm not following, it's like I'm not following my dream or that's their perception of it. Mm -hmm. But what they don't get is that that's allowed me to follow my dream for 15 years doing it that way, where, you know, the economics haven't made sense almost ever, maybe like once or twice in 15 years, the economics have added up for me as an artist, but I've never had to really like, I've never actually But it's also
0: your intellectual curiosity that you like thinking about products and usability and what that means to people's yeah. lives. So it's not like you 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 go to work and you're getting whipped and you're punished and you're crying <laughs> no, all day.
1: No, it's true. I have a fantastic job. It's very inspiring. But, um, and and frankly, you know, I don't think it's, I think it's, I'd love to, if you could like help with this question. Like one of the things that I find inspiring is being part of another world that's not art, right? Because the art world can be very like, it's almost like, you know, inward looking and it's a little bit of a tornado sometimes, mm-hmm. You know, it's concerned with things that no one else in the world is concerned with. A lot of times. Yeah, John Uh,
0: Waters said it's a bit like a a motorcycle club with secret handshakes.
1: Yeah, and so I get tremendous relief, like going out into this like not real world. Yeah, I find it really
0: refreshing to go to conferences and speak because I, I spoke to other artists who were like, "Oh, you speak at these tech conferences? Aren't you worried what that would do to your image?" And I'm like, "No, I find it really refreshing."
1: Yeah. Yeah, I've seen you speak at tech conferences and you're like a superstar. I remember I saw well, you. Well, there's at... a
0: general thing with when artists operate outside of the art world. Uh, people are so happy to meet artists because it's kind of exotic. Yeah. So when you're hanging out at an art fair, everybody's in the art world. You're not that special. And then when you hang out at a tech conference, it's like, oh, you're an artist. What's that like? <laughs> yeah, no.
1: totally. No, you're absolutely right. I get that exoticism all the time in my But you must get life. that all the
0: time being in the tech world
1: yeah exactly anytime I mention things of course the common joke I also get is is that a performance no matter you know no matter what I do (laughs) Mm -hmm. but uh but yeah generally you're like I'm going to the
0: bathroom it's like oh it's another performance (laughs)
1: well it to bring us back to one of the things we were talking about though when you're like first starting out is that like you know
0: people are like well how do you even do that like they're they're more that was the question of those students like and especially when you make physical work it's like well I I made the work now what yeah
1: Yeah. Well, they're also like, why did you do that? Or like, you know, and I, you know, the, I, you know, the best answer I have is like, I couldn't help myself.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. But at least you're not dealing with storage. So like you have a few hard drives. Yeah.
1: Well, actually that's something, this is a bit of a sidetrack, but that's something that the physical gallery will always represent um, as a storage locker. (laughs) yeah that uh, a lot of uh, people don't but talk but also about as a that.
0: collaborator because it's a, 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 but that's maybe a bit of a uh so side the best show. the best if, galleries if are like talking, collaborators for sure yeah because they they will look at your work and you show different projects that are not finished yet and they might get enthusiastic about something you didn't even think about that much like oh that's very interesting let's uh, realize this yeah, and I
1: think one of the things the gallery also serves as is like a bridge between the surreal life that you're living as an artist and the real life a little bit on the ground, um, you know, commonly, you know, of the, of the people that might come in and interact with your work, right? Because you get so sort of in your own head that they can help bridge those gaps.
0: Yeah, but um, no, there's, there's a few things when I thought that when the Internet started and I thought that would change. And I thought artists would work more directly and there would be more and more internet art, but it didn't really pan out that way. Well, I you know, I'm always
1: hopeful this is we did like, you know, in the nineties and those artists, net artists from the nineties, thought the same thing and, and some of them are super bitter now and others are like getting celebrated, right? Mm-hmm. They've been resurfacing. And then I think the same thing's gonna happen for our generation, which is a you know, Yeah, but I was I was people.
0: more surprised with the generation after us that they you would think Oh, every generation is going to be, people are more familiar with the internet and its value and its connection with the audience. So there will be more, like first there was maybe 0.01% internet artists and maybe Mm -hmm. then it's 1% and maybe in a few years it's 15% of artists are internet artists. But I think the term like a media, you know,
1: insert media here and then artist is, is disappearing, right? No, but, but
0: I'm speaking about someone who chooses to address their audience directly through the network
1: right through the network and who is, who is like
0: i i you know it, it's fine to do shows every now and then but my main outlet is directly to my audience yeah i suppose it's
1: like it's also a part of celebrity culture on the internet and that you know as that dies off like as Lindsay lohan has fewer followers so too will the internet <laughs> 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 um, <Lindsay>. because it, <laughs> well i always say You know, everyone is famous now. That's my, you know, and, and, you know, uh, Andy Warhol said everyone was going to want their 15 minutes of fame. He just didn't realize they're going to want it every day. I can't remember who who said that. But, you know, um, that's kind of the state of affairs, right? Like, and so you're not special anymore. um, No, also the Internet
0: is, is about following things with a little, with smaller following. But it's I think like,
1: that that's what that's what's magical about it, though, Raf. For me, anyway, yeah. is that not only I can be an artist. But I think but I think
0: all all our listeners agree that the internet yeah. is special. But they're all like, yeah. But how do we make money? Because I don't want to work in a supermarket anymore.
1: <laughs> yeah, but I think yeah. yeah, I think like personally. So my, your answer is a my day answer job. is a day job. Yeah, It's yeah. plain and simple, like something that can help where your research for your art is embedded in that day job. That's the ideal solution, in my opinion. Um, your solution, I think, is also fantastic, which is to you know find a gallery that believes in you and that can help nurture your career. But there are very few of those galleries out there for specific uh, types of media. I think you're you're of one of the best in the world at Postmasters, and so you know not every artist is going to have that opportunity, right? Especially in their small town or wherever they are.
0: Yeah, but I I I, I uh, I'm very reluctant to give advice. I'm saying like this is a good idea because it's so different per person. That's true. Because my idea is like, get up early every morning, don't drink, uh, work all the time, diversify, do lots of different things, but that could be very destructive for some artists who have to be completely obsessed with one medium and be drunk all the time and socialize. So it's really, it just depends on the person
1: yeah i mean and ultimately like i you know for me it's just important that we dispel the myth that it's easy <laughs> it's like but do
0: you think anybody thinks it's easy um
1: i mean i think they think that we figured out some kind of hack like there's like yeah. some kind of secret book you can read or something and i think exactly what you it's, said it's which is funny that it's funny like the
0: guy tim Ferriss. who did you read the four hour work week
1: uh, no, I have not read the four-hour. Yeah, theme. I I
0: love all these efficiency gurus, and it's it's very ironic to me that the uh, all the tools have become more efficient, and then we need these efficiency gurus to tell us. How. <laughs> so he'll he'll write like, "Oh, I will tell you this great secret that you can travel around Europe for ten dollars," and then he's like, "EasyJet," <laughs> and then he blows a lot of people. I'm like, "What? EasyJet? Such? So yeah, if you book two years in advance, your ticket is cheap." Yeah. And yeah, stuff like that. So I don't this whole idea of of a tutorial, like follow these 12 steps and then you'll be uh, financially independent. I mean, the best rule I've ever heard
1: is never blame your audience. You know, so like and I learned that lesson early on, which is never blame your failure on your audience. Right. You know, Mm -hmm. whatever success you're going to have is going to have to come from within. Right. And. Your audience you know it's it's a privilege to have an audience to have someone listening but there's also
0: that thing where uh, because the world is you're open to you're connected to the whole world so you can see everything at the same time and but your context might not be as helpful as other contexts so if you're making movies in the netherlands it's just you shouldn't blame your audience but it's a lot more difficult yeah, but then to you make a find, huge movie then in L.A. So it, then do you have to move to L.A.? Yeah, I think that, that <laughs> like the bottom line is
1: like I have figured this out because I went to grad school in Syracuse that, you know, Syracuse wasn't exactly going to be where I found shows. Right. Like and mm-hmm. so I remember every weekend I would. Dr- now, this is actually funny because I didn't use the internet every weekend. I would drive to a different city to meet with a curator or someone like that or have coffee with someone to try and like drum up interest in what I was doing. Right. And then one thing I found is that the coffee date or like having a drink with someone is actually like probably one of the most powerful things you can do in terms of furthering any career, no matter what field it's yeah. in. Right. It's like and then not asking for something, but offering something. So saying, you know, you eventually ask for something. But like, but do, you, saying do you, that,
0: you feel like you need a permission to do a performance or do you organize some yourself?
1: That's a really interesting question. Um, 'm not I'm lucky that now I don't really have to organize them myself I get asked to do them um,
0: because maybe this is my question yeah. so I, the, I listened I read a lot about punk and metal and all these kind of subcultures and the Ramones were one of the first punk bands and but they considered themselves a pop band they just played a little harder and faster but they're like our songs are as good as the Beatles mm-hmm. and when you listen to the songs they're like really great catchy memorable pop songs and they just kept fighting for a number one hit song so they wanted mainstream success and in the meantime there were huge underground heroes but they didn't consider that a success at all because it's like who cares about the underground we want to have Beatles status Rolling Stones right so they kept pushing for Rolling Stone status and they never got there and they were completely pissed and miserable and never enjoyed the success they had but for punk standards they're the biggest ever and they're with it so and arguably, I mean, you know, they have a
1: better catalog. But there
0: was no there was no independent thinking yet. The whole structure of independent labels didn't exist when they started. Right. So they wanted to be on a major label. And what I mean is where are the, the, the visual artists who are like, okay, this, this mainstream system doesn't work for me. I'm going to organize performances myself. I'm going to yep. organize a label myself. I'm going to create a website myself. Yeah, I mean, I definitely did that early yeah. on. I posted my videos online. I just think early on
1: you have to do it on your own. Like I said at the outset, I mean, but you know, hopefully, and so you get it's to the still point. the
0: internet that would be the best place to to be DIY.
1: I think it's one place if it if it's right for your media, right? But like, you could go out into the street and do something like graffiti research labs, like kind of a fun one to think about from a few years ago, where they like, you know, just came up with hacks and then like did you know, things in different cities or went to China and made like a big political, yeah. you know, uh, scene there graffiti. Another thing
0: that people did, uh, was just make mockups of works and photograph them in a way that they look like they're a huge installation, yeah. post them on <laughs> yeah. Tumblr and just pretend it. And then later on, this uh, collective AIDS 3 d at the time, they would make mockups of sculptures in a corner of the studio, but photograph it with a really wide angle lens. So it looks huge. Yeah. And then curator's is like, whoa, that's baller. That's so big. Where, where did you make it? It's like, oh, yeah, we'll make it for your show. And then they made it. I think, then, know, I do they think they that,
1: that's brilliant in a lot of ways. It also reminds me of this false, uh, these attempts to create virtual galleries over and over again mm-hmm. that continue to like not really make any sense because it takes the worst of the physical world. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't have the thrill. No. Yeah. It's like all the worst things for the physical world <laughs> <No>. <laughs> in the digital world. <laughs>
0: Remember all those things you liked? We took them out. We just left you with the suckiness.
1: Yeah. Constraints in the digital world. Enjoy. Yeah. Um, anyway, so yeah. we're kind of running out of time. Is there anything that, you know, I feel like, you know, there's probably a few people at least that are listening and thinking like, you know, is there something that that we're missing? That some pe- like nugget of, tr- but we said there's no secret playbook, but there are just some values, I guess. Well, it,
0: it's f- it's for sure that uh, making things and sh- showing them to people. I think that's the only that's the basic. And then iterating not much, on that. Right? Th- there's many variations of that, but making something and showing it to someone those are the as, two yeah. elements
1: and doing that as early as possible right we've all met that artist that like has that one great idea and they don't want to share it with anyone and you're like why don't you, <laughs> you do, and like they'll say yeah i, I think been... <laughs> Malevich,
0: when he invented his abstraction and his, his radical abstract works he kept them in the dark for two years he was afraid people would copy them And i think he was he was probably right <laughs> but maybe that's he only, to only one wait example for a good release moment
1: but those moments, I, whenever I have them, you know, with anyone in the world, I'm always like, "You poor soul! <laughs> it's like you're like living alone with this thing, and everything. It's make or break. Whether you know, like, yeah, if this just is shooting. not as huge as the black square. I think you can share it with people. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I think you'll be okay. Yeah.
1: And, and the worst thing that can happen and the earlier you share it is the sooner you realize you were wrong <laughs> I don't know maybe this is like something that I can say is that like the number of times I've been I've made bad work probably outnumbers the, the times I've made good work like ten to one um, you know it's just like sort of you make a lot of things and a few things end up being good right
0: um yeah I think so but it's also the question what's good is completely abstract so that's yeah, why like tricky I think I think I think this is the difficult part for young artists or artists any age, is that you in your mind have a have a preference and you have a decision what you think is good or bad. And then there's this feeling, they call it art rage, I think, where you go in a gallery and it's like, why is this here? This is total <laughs> yeah. crap. My work is so much better. My grandma yeah. can do better than this. My dog can do better than this. yeah uh, So there's there's this thing where... It's like, oh, work hard and show it to people. No, it's also just like being at the right moment at the right place and very mediocre work can be catapulted in a system and then it, the, the, the economic force changes the perception of the work. Sure. So if, if you can take any idea, just off the top of my head, it's like, okay, I'm going to make artwork that is uh, feathers and maple syrup and olives... I'm going to do that my whole career. And if you just market it in the right way, then it can be really successful. It's like, oh, yeah, that's the the guy who does all the feathers and olives. (laughs) Maples here. Yeah. And and, oh, yeah, it's the Canadian identity and the Mediterranean (laughs) identity. And it's about freedom because you're flying around the world and the artist wants to be free from society. So that's why the feathers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then people can have it on the wall, but you can also do it as a performance. So You can make a whole career just... And I think that the the thing that's really hard to swallow or that's hard to understand is the undemocratic nature of the art world. It's just a few people, whereas the mass market is... They decide, is this a hit song or not? But the bottom line with that person
1: is, like, could they do that and be a jerk about it? You know, like... Because there's a social networking aspect to this that's not, not at all in a sleazy sense. It's more like... I've noticed over the years that kind... And I always had this belief that kind people... Who care about each other's careers come together and help each other move forward, right? And those that, like, you know, do have that art rage where they walk into a thing, like, fuck you, you don't belong here kind of thing, they slowly slide away. And they don't slide away at first. Sometimes they have success in the short run because they're like sticking to their principles or something like that. But, you know, over time, like 10, 15 years, people just slide off and like they don't survive, right? Because, I'm not going to work with that person. You start to hear that or
0: like... I'm not so sure. I think sometimes there's also just people at the right time, at the right place. And there's this expression in, in, in Dutch. I don't know how to translate, it, but it's like you fall upwards. Like some mm-hmm. people fall down the stairs, but some people just... Gravity flips and they just roll up the stairs accidentally. So That's I, a Dutch I, expression. <laughs> yeah. Omhogevallen. <laughs> and, you know, it happens. It's it, it, I think... Um, What's the guy, Ken Casey, He the one flew over the cuckoo's nest? Mm-hmm. He has this expression, uh, the cream always rises, but turds also float.
1: <laughs> yeah, some jerks do make it to the top, but I don't think we so should. I, that I don't when... think
0: you should worry about there be, ever being justice or anything like, oh, the good work will surface in the end. I don't know if that's true, but uh, as you, you're right, you shouldn't be pissed off at your own audience and just... Keep going at your own pace, but there will be lots of frustration. Where you're like, how does that make any sense?
1: I guess my point is just that like positive being positive attracts more people that are positive and and believe it's possible. And then and so yeah, but and there's
0: so. also a, a an element of discerning taste where you can't just always be positive, and that actually complaining and uh, oh yeah, well don't get me being wrong. critical or or not liking things can make your identity and, and anger can uh, be a great factor of like wow, there's so much crap out there. I'm going to make something better.
1: Okay, so fantastic message packaged here as like, be positive sometimes, but be rageful. Others, oh, critical. <laughs> yeah. There's no lesson at the end of this. Anyway, maybe there None doesn't need whatsoever. to be, except just figure it out. And you can, uh, you always ask for help.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: Um, what else? I guess that's I,
0: it. I, I know maybe the final message is that it, you should not think about success, but just, uh, this sounds corny, but should enjoy making the work itself because then you it's already a success if you enjoyed making it then who cares if people like it or not
1: which reminds me i'm super excited right now to uh, play with some neural network stuff that i set up last night which there you sounds go. like
0: sounds like the future
1: i'm yeah. so excited and no one's gonna want you know any of us in the future because of course artificial intelligent neural networks are going to be producing all of the creative ideas, which we've talked about before. But
0: And you're just speeding up the process.
1: Yeah, I'm just going to try and uh, make all of us obsolete. Well, we can talk case. about <laughs> that in the next episode. Perhaps, yeah.
0: Yeah, cool. Okay, well, uh, that was episode number four, is it?
1: That's right. We've done this four times. And, yeah. you know, the show must go on. Sick, sleet, snow. Yeah, F- I'm in,
0: in Japan next week. So mm. it might be... A little bit later than the usual, but we'll see. We'll see. It'd be interesting
1: if you could pull it off from Japan, but I'm not gonna pressure you.
0: Well, I don't know what the time zone differences in my schedule, but we'll see. Yeah.
1: Okay. Well that was a good good test of not preparing. Yeah. Enjoyed the conversation, Raphael. Thanks so much. Okay.
0: See you. Thank you. See ya. Share. Bye. Bye.
1: Thanks everyone.